As you well know, Toe dips its toes, so to speak, into philosophy, both publicly as well as I do so in my personal life. I encourage you to do the same with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Nearly 2,000 years after it was written, this guide to personal growth remains eminently relevant for anyone seeking to lead a meaningful life. Meditations isn't your average self-help book. In fact, it was the emperor's personal journal, and this makes it useful not only as a form of propositional knowledge, but to aid perspectival knowledge, something that John Verveke talks about as exigent, though missing in our culture. We sit in this improbable, even preposterous position of having the opportunity to peer into one of the deepest soul-searching, thoughtful, private questions, internal struggles that the once leader of the world thought about in his moments alone. Like, man, I would love to interview him if Marcus were a guest on tow. Maybe he would be a fan of the CTMU. Maybe he would be a Castrop sympathizer. I'll leave that up to you. Dive into the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius today with the book that Ryan Holiday said is the greatest book ever written. Meditations is available from Penguin Random House at prh.com slash meditations. This is the 100th episode Thank you all for being a part of this occasion and supporting Toe along the way to make it happen. We've launched a contest for a physics explainer video. If you want to explain some physics phenomenon or consciousness theory and do so in the format of an engaging video, then visit the link in the description for more information as there's just 10 days left. Brilliance has come on board to give 1000 USD to each of the five winners. Entry closes sharply on October 31st, 11.59pm Toronto time. Stefan Alexander is a theoretical physicist and a professor at Brown University. Salvatore Pius is an engineer, formerly at the U.S. Space Force, and currently working for the U.S. Navy. Seldomly do those in academia listen to those who are from the outside, and even more rarely do they do so with such compassion and mutual respect that both Stefan and Sal show to one another. This is a first-of-its-kind conversation on tow that's meant to exemplify what occurs behind closed doors, but in front of a public audience like yourself. This is the second time that Salvatore Pius has ever conducted an interview, the first time also being on tow, and the link to that will be in the description. Sal is an elusive fellow. Stefan Alexander has also appeared on tow, and the link to that is in the description. There we talk about string theory and another proposal for a theory of everything called the autodidactic universe. During this conversation with Sal and Stefan, I was struck, I still am struck with COVID, so it was extremely difficult for me to parse words together cognitively. However, just like usual tow episodes, we still retain a level of high technicality. Thank you, and keep in mind that Salvatore Pius and Stefan Alexander will both come on separately for one-on-ones for part two with Salvatore Pius and part two with Stefan Alexander. Now enjoy this trilogue, this theolocution between Stefan Alexander and Salvatore Pius. What do each of you see as the main issues with either quantizing gravity or gravitizing the quantum? Eric Weinstein calls it geometrizing the quantum. Starting with Stefan, Professor Stefan Alexander, please. Um, well, there are, it depends on the perspective you take. Um, you know, general relativity, um, Einstein theory of general relativity is based on um, the principle of background dependence or diffeomorphism invariance that coordinate labels are fictitious. I mean, they are not physical, right? You can always define physics in a completely different coordinate system and physics should be the same. And quantum mechanics, you know, in, in its formulation at least, um, in quantum field theory, the structure of quantum field theory, for example, you talk, talk about 
you know, unifying quantum mechanics with special relativity, um, you still are doing physics in some given frame and, you know, making sort of combining, there's a tension now, right? Because how do you define quantum mechanics in a background independent way? There have been attempts to do that. Um, happy to talk about those attempts. And, you know, they've seen some success, but um, there's also um, problems. Um, the main problem, of course, for me as a, just a, a physicist that pays a lot of attention to observations is that um, it's difficult to explain. Um, so some, some of these theories are said to be um, unphysical and I can get back to that about what that means, what unphysical means. Um, they're fraught with certain conceptual and technical problems, these um, background independent formulations of quantum gravity. And then you have things like string theory, which is a successful perturbative way of defining, of combining some aspects of general relativity with quantum mechanics. Um, but again, I have worked on string theory. I've worked on string theory mainly at the level of string phenomenology or string cosmology. And, you know, it, it provides a good toolbox, but also string theory itself has its own um, issues and un, unresolved problems. And that's why it's still an active field of research. So that's my little summary about um, why quantum gravity is so hard to. So we, we currently don't have a consensus in terms of the, um, you know, physicists, we don't have a consensus about a theory of quantum gravity. So if we don't have a consensus, then we don't really have a theory of quantum gravity. Actually, uh, Professor Alexander, I agree with every, every syllable you've added. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yes, think of it possibly, possibly, just to add a little, maybe from ignorance or lack of knowledge uh, deep within physical theory, but what if it's not just about quantizing the gravitational field or geometrizing the quantum as Dr. Weinstein, Eric Weinstein says, what if it's about something else as well? What if there is a super force, a force of unification that somehow combines all four forces, given that uh, the force of gravity is acceptable as a force and not just a space-time curvature and so forth. And this super force could be, for example, Isaac Newton. Let's go back to way before, all right, circa 1693 AD. Thank goodness for that. Uh, 1693, he writes a letter to one of his buddies, R Richard, Bart, I think Sir Richard Bentley. He says, what if gravity is the result of an agent, big A, capital A, that acts constantly throughout the universe in accordance to given laws of nature? And my question is, what if this agent, capital A, is the super force? Now, Professor Abai Ashtakar, which, by, by the way, I think quantum bounds should be called Ashtakar bounds in the, in the LQG, in loop quantum gravity. Um, and I think it, he's got something. And we have to discuss this, this whole idea of the Ashtakar bounds, the quantum bounds. Uh, 
because there may be some sort of uh, super force, super density resulting in a super bang. I know, I know. You see what happens when you agree to a conversation with a... So let me interject if you don't mind. I want to frame this conversation. I know that I've said this to both of you. Stefan Alexander is a professor of theoretical physics at Brown University and holds many accolades. And I'll list those in the actual intro itself. And Salvatore Pius is an engineer working at the Navy slash U.S. Space Force slash I know that you can't say exactly what your position is. But the point is that rarely do those in the academic circles listen to those who are outside of it, and especially when those who are on the outside feel like they have some grand idea, because you generally get pitched them left, right, and center when you're an academic. And so it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff. With Stefan, what I like about you is that you take your cues from physics from jazz, which is that if someone throws you an idea, you play with it and you throw it back to the person. You mentioned that this is how you work with your graduate students. So this is supposed to be, or this is, this whole conversation is an example of what would ordinarily happen behind closed doors being brought to the public. And so hopefully it's something that researchers can aspire to. So that's what frames this conversation. This this respect that is seldom shown and compassion between, let's say, academia and those who are outside when they have large ideas, grand ideas, grand unification. Right. So on that note, on that note, so let me um, ask, um, let me respond to Sal. Um, sure, that's great. So first of all, Sal, uh, please call me Stefan. Um, oh, thank you, sir. Appreciate okay. it. Yeah. And um, so, so I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm going to say, well, you, you for push, I'm going to push back and agree with you. The first thing I'm going to agree with is that your idea of, let's say, the super force, meaning that unif- that quantization of gravity can only happen with a unification scheme, where basically there's some force, let's call it your super force, so some force, or something that underlies all the force of gravity, right? And the forces that quantum mechanics actually you know, um, unifies itself. So quantum field theory was an example of um, a way of unifying the three interactions, the three, um, you know, the weak interaction, the strong interaction, and the electromagnetic interaction. At least, I mean, quantum field theory is a language at least, okay? Um, You know, quantum field theory and gauge invariance, right, is a language, right, or the technology, the conceptual mathematical technology that underlies those three forces, right? And the super force, you know, this unification of gravity with these other three forces, this was actually the program of string theory, right? String theory Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and its its parent, you know, some people call, call, I think I find this, its parent theory actually very interesting, matrix theory, right? The idea that, you know, what even underlines the overarching framework that um, that string theory comes from is a matrix um, quantum mechanics. So now I think what is interesting about what you're saying is that there's one thing to say that forces, including gravity, are unified. But your perspective, what I'm hearing, your perspective is that you're calling that unification a super force. And therefore, I'm going to ask you, what is that force? Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for this. Uh, wow. Uh, I, wow. 
Okay. First of all, I hope, I hope it's not computational biology. No. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, uh, we'd have to involve uh, uh, Dr. Wolfram, uh, some other some other notables in it. Uh, mm. Maybe, um, by the way, uh, down the road, uh, uh, if you could discuss your idea of the rhythm universe, I'd, I'd really like to hear more. And I have a question for my 10-year-old daughter for you. Okay, great, great. So just remind me. Okay, but just to go back to the Super Force, thank you very much for, for engaging with me. And it means a lot because you not only do, do you have the right pedigree, but you, you are extremely well-known and extremely well-liked in the community. So God bless oh. you for this, sir. Okay, thank well, you. That's, that's news to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, come on. Anybody that uh, Professor Leon Cooper would, would think highly of, uh, everybody else should think very... Anyway, I mean, he was the, he is the god of superconductivity. I mean, the, the other two, I think, yes. have passed away, Bardeen right. and Schrieffer. But anyway, may they rest in peace, by the way. The, the BCS theory is um, remarkable. Anyway, so the superforce is... Uh, C to the fourth. So it's like the speed of light to the fourth power divided by big G. Now, mm -hmm. Professor Ashtakar is correct in saying, wait, uh, it cannot be fundamental because it doesn't have the H bar in it. But if you think of it, it's really the Planck force. And what, how does the Planck force come about? It's the Planck energy, which is the M, uh, the, the Planck mass times C square uh, mm -hmm. um, divided by the Planck uh, length, which is what? Uh, G H bar divided by C cubed, the whole thing square root off. Yep. Yeah, but, but because it's, um, yeah, but anyway. So if you do that, the H bar drops out. Now, what's really cool about this, the super force being the Planck force talks directly to general relativity. Because if you look at Einstein's field equations, which you very well know, I mean, I could do the whole thing with the Riemannian curvature times the space-time metric, but let's call everything on the left-hand side a G, a G, a G sub mu nu, asterisk, because it's got the cosmological constant terminus. Right, so and so yeah, Einstein yeah. tensor. Right, exactly, mm -hmm. sir. And, and, and equals what? It, it's eight pi, times big G divided by C to the fourth. You see, when you do the dimensional analysis oh, and, and that scalar, that uh, eight pi times big G divided by C to the fourth is multiplied by the uh, stress energy momentum tensor, your uh, T sub mu nu, right? But when you do the dimensional, the scaling analysis on that, you realize that that one divided by L square goes as, um, L divided by E times E divided by L cubed, which is the energy density, the T sub mu nu. So that, that, that uh, scalar constant that acts in the Einstein field equations is representative of a force. And it's really representative of the Planck force. And you got to ask yourself, what's this Planck force, super force? Call it what you want. Call it the Alexander force. Who knows, maybe one day, you'll be able to use it and prove with experimental data that this thing does exist. I still do believe it exists at Planck scales. But anyway, let me not, not diverge. I'm, I'm just so enthusiastic that finally someone of your, of your great aptitude is engaging that, that you know, I'm, I'm a little bit. So I apologize if I seem too enthusiastic. But okay, uh, so what I'm trying to say is that what is the Planck force doing? 
in the Einstein field equations if it wasn't a bridge between the, 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 the world of the very small quantum mechanics and the world of the very large general relativity? Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, dimensional analysis is always a great, um, a, a great path, path to, to take when we're trying to understand new things about that the theory may not be sane, um, right? So scaling analysis is, scale analysis and um, in dimensional analysis is, um, I think, a great way to proceed. How, uh, one, one question I have, of course, is that no matter what you do with the Einstein field equation, right, you can always, I mean, at the end of the day, right, and a good, so, so just to walk everyone through this, on the left-hand side of the Einstein equation, we have the notion of curvature or, you know, let's say geometry um, is related or equated with, right, um, energy momentum, right, matter and, you know, um, and energy. So, you know, typically, I mean, when we, at least bread and butter relativists and cosmologists that I am, we tend to use fields of fluids to discuss, you know, to discuss that framework. So we have on the left-hand side, we have a, we have the equivalent of a field, in this case, the dynamics of the gravitational field um, seen through the lens of curvature. And on the right-hand side, we have a f like basically fluids or fields, uh, matter fields, right? So, um, and then we, of course we have matter or fields or fluids, whatever, right? Space time. And basically there is a, the system is nonlinear and there's what we call back reaction. Um, you know, the matter can curve the geometry and the geometry, the curved geometry makes the matter move. And then that in, that in turn, like, you know, back reacts, right? So you have, because the system is nonlinear. Now I can choose to put vacuum energy or the cosmological constant on the right-hand side, right? And it, mm -hmm. it, it appears to behave like a form of matter, or I could put it on the left-hand mm -hmm. side, right? And that actually ends up becoming something that looks like the radius of curve, the radius of the set of space, mm -hmm. right? So basically if I mm -hmm. have a positive cosmological constant, I have an, you know, I have a, a curve space the time now where the, the, the radius, the, the, and that's the set of space. Now, mm -hmm. so if I get rid of all of my, if I work in complete vacuum and I, I can choose that, mm -hmm. I can choose to work in complete vacuum with a cosmological term, right? Mm -hmm. Is it not the case that 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 this what you call a superforce is something that couples to the to this vacuum energy? I see what you're saying. I mean, there's nothing unless you're adding unless you are adding something else to the Einstein field equation. That's what you have to work with. Now you can you right. could do that. You could modify mm -hmm. Einstein's theory. There are ways to do this. So are you asking mm -hmm. to are you are you modifying um, general relativity or are you repackage no, it in no. a way to, to, no. to say that, 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 you know, some Planckian scale vacuum energy is what you're calling the superforce. That's my question. Basically, the right-hand side drops to zero. Where's your superforce? And what you're left with is a vacuum solution. But I, what I'm saying is don't do that because it's like choosing natural units. If you choose natural units, you know, the whole idea of C equal H bar equal big G equal one. You get mm -hmm. rid of the superforce to begin with, but you're still left with the beauty of Einstein's field equations, namely space-time curvature geometry is mass energy. 
which is exactly what it couples to. So the physics is still there, but you've given, you've, you've taken away some of the physics that's inherent to the strength, to the, what's the word I'm looking for? To the power of the Einstein equations. And the beauty of the Einstein equations is that they can be reformulated. If you leave the C to the fourth divided by big G in there, if you leave the super force uh, term in there, it, it takes a whole different nuance because it basically says on a quantum scale, it's possible that if you think of the left-hand side as a spatial temporal geometrical structure, then what it says, it's the super force acting on the spatial temporal geometrical structure that gives rise to matter, to energy density. That's a whole different look a whole different understanding of what GR has been telling us. It's, it's a new perspective on old physics, not new physics. I, I, I cannot stand when people use the idea of new physics. What if it's just a new perspective on old physics? Nothing wrong with old physics. Old physics like good wine, you know? You leave it, it matures. It tastes even better. Yeah, but if I'm if I'm you know I if I work in natural units, I mean I can always free feel free to choose what units I want, and I should you know I should see the same physics, right? Agreed. Which which uh, that's why uh, how should I say uh, uh, the the only problem that I see with that is that once you choose to work with natural units, not only do you discard the physics of the superforce, it's no longer there, but you actually discard dimensional scaling analysis. It's no longer dimensionally correct because then it says one divided by L squared goes, goes as E divided by L cubed. Where's the uh, equivalence in that? Do you see what I mean? When you use natural units and get rid of that scalar, all of a sudden it doesn't make dimensional sense anymore. And I, I understand from a dimensions point of view, maybe dimension shouldn't matter anyway. But when you translate those dimensions, one divided by L squared as being your space-time curvature, so that's your left-hand side, and goes as E divided by L cubed, whoa, it's basically saying, yeah, space-time geometry is like you know, an energy density. Yeah, I understand. But from a dimensional perspective, it's no longer there. It is no longer there. How can one divided by L squared be as E divided by L cubed when E is really your MC squared? There's something not right when you use natural units and drop out the superforce. I understand what you mean overall, physically. That well, in that case, E is just M, right? In those, in those units, E is just M, right? Fine. Not, not C squared. Fine. Right. But even then, one divided by L squared goes to M divided by L cubed. Mm -hmm. Even from, uh, you see what I'm saying? Even from, I mean, how, okay, say you, you keep the M, it's still divided by, L. are you saying that a mass divided by a volume goes as one divided by L squared? Are you saying that an, uh, uh, how should I say, a mass density? What's, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what M divided by L cubed. A mass density goes as really one divided by surface area. 
You see what I'm saying? It no longer makes physical sense at that point. Once you use the natural units and get rid of the superforce term, the C4 divided by big G. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, I'll have to, you know, for me, I'll have to see. I mean, no, one no, of these no. things that I have to like, I have to see, you know, the... Would you look at some paper I come up with? Sure. I think that that's fair. That, is that means a lot. Fair. That yeah. means a lot. And I would really love to stay in touch with you, not only because we're, we're New York City boys. We basically, you know, I went to Brooklyn Technical High School and you knew uh, DeKalb Avenue, J Street, mm -hmm. like the back of your hand. I remember you mm -hmm. spoke of a Dr. Kaplan. I think yeah. I, want, uh, I once met him because wow. he was a good friend of uh, Dr. Arthur Dorison from Brooklyn Tech and also uh, Mr. Lawrence Zimmerman. Those are Amar, you know, they're oh, the ones wow. that brought me up. Yeah, yeah. You're what, I, you're what, what we call a homeboy. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think you and I had a, have a lot of in, in our origins, in our background, the way we grew up and, you know, New York City guys, mm -hmm. a lot of people thought, you know, at least a lot of people thought out in mountain, not in, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yep. I mean, look at you, what, what you've yeah. achieved. So, hey, you know. Hey, I did, I did, some, I did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's take this further down. So just you know, what is um, let's see. So you talked about um, Ashtekar. You know, I, I, actually, Abai is a, a great mentor of mine, and oh, wow. he was very um, very kind to me. So when I was when nobody else wanted to hire me, he was the one that was behind um, my first faculty job at Penn State. And my office was next to his for, for a number of years. And I learned quite a bit from, the, from Abai Ashtakar. He is a genius. Right? And um, so, and wow. I, took, I took some time to learn some, not all, because it's, it's very te technical stuff, um, new quantum gravity. Um, I even tried to you know, develop some ideas around the Ashtakar, Ashtakar variables. Um, so it's something that I'm always, um, you know, an admirer of, you know, um, I, I do have some problems with the loop quantum gravity program. And, you know, um, I consider Lee, uh, Lee Smolin to be a good friend. Um, um, I think that, I, uh, you know, the minute when you are talking about this, this bounce um, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. happens in, say, loop quantum cosmology. Yes, sir. Um, there is a sense in which, like, there is, um, you know, I once heard, um, um, Ashtakar give an analogy mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. somehow when we think about since it is a quantum theory mm -hmm. and geometry is quantized then the idea was that the, the, perhaps the quantum reason behind the bounce is that as space-time you know if you think about the sort of the structure of space-time being cellular right, um, or right. discrete um, it is that you, you get to some you get to some re region, and there is some repulsive quantum exactly. forces. So is that the thing you're you're kind of pointing? Yes, that's a, I'm I'm saying exactly that the superforce resides at the Ashtakar bounds. It is the superforce that acts repulsively uh, at super density condition. And what super density really density at Planck scale? So it's your you know. Uh, uh, speed of light to the fifth power, the whole thing divided by the denominators like uh, 
big G square H bar. Your H bar is your reduced plant cancer. And that's how H bar comes in. Because Professor Ashtakar, when he heard of the, my formula for the super force, he was like, hey, but the, the, it's not quantum in nature, it can be fundamental, but it talks to a super density. And, and the beauty of it, it's because it doesn't have the H bar that it couples with the Einstein equations as, as you and I have been conversing. You and I can discuss this more because I see, you know, I see your point very well as well. So, so, but what I'm saying is, what if the super force is what makes the Ashtakar bounce happen? When you say that the super force resides at the Ashtakar bounce, do you mean to say that the super force comes into play at the level when the Ashtakar bounce becomes relevant or the super force is the Ashtakar bounce? No, 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 no. The Ashtakar bounce is this quantum bounce that uh, that Professor Alexander was speaking of that basically can be used instead of uh, inflation theory and so forth. Too. But anyway, look, what I'm trying to say, uh, let me let let me focus uh, on the thoughts because this is important. Let me give the analogy of uh, a supernova explosion. The way it does, uh, it, the way, uh, for example, anything but a type 1A uh, a supernova, this would apply to. The mechanism is basically that of a core collapse that leads to something called core bounds. And it happens at very high densities on the order of like 2.4 times 10 to the 14 grams per centimeter cube. At those extremely high densities, this core bounds occurs because of the what the strong nuclear force comes into being. And this thing, it's what leads to the um, uh, uh, extremely violent expulsion of the outer core of the star. So I'm saying I'm taking something that's extremely small and analogizing it with something that happens in a supernova mechanism. But it's almost the same idea. The core bounce really happens in this case because of the extremely high density, which brings in the strong nuclear force. And I'm saying at the quantum bounce, it's not the strong nuclear force, it's the super force that acts. And what's really interesting, and I hope to prove this to Professor Alexander one day, uh, I really hope you, sir, I really hope you take the time to, to read the paper that I have in mind. I wish I had the pedigree of a physicist, so maybe you're able to, I mean, and I'll try in that paper to, to make much stronger mathematical arguments as to what I'm saying. But from a physical mechanism point of view, just think of the analogy of a core bounce that happens upon the core collapse of a supernova explosion. That's exactly what I'm talking about, but on a quantum level. You see what I'm so, saying? So, so basically some, some repulsive force that yes. um, pro pro uh, prohibits further contraction. So that, that also means that black, that black holes- um, No space-time singularities um, exist. Yes, sir. Okay, no, yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, what I do, what I am sympathetic to here is that, and I'm, I'm for me, physics is also about ideas, mm -hmm. right? Now, the way ideas are mathematically implemented and what theoretical framework is also obviously very important because the name of the game is to sort of push the structure, so identify where the theory breaks down, replace it yes, with sir. a good idea, and then hopefully that idea leads to a new structure um, that under the right approximation gives you back actually the old theory, right? So in this yes, case, yes. 
we have in the Einstein equations, we have we have situations, including in the quantum cosmology, um, we do have a, a framework to talk about such repulsive um, forces that do prohibit bounces in general, right? However, they are fraught with, you always run into some issue with these types of um, forces. And I'm happy if um, Kurt allows me to share the screen to kind of maybe show a, a, a diagram of, of what that could look like, what those, wh where those problems will lie. So maybe something that Sal, Sal could think about. Okay, you should have sharing capabilities. Right. So on the y-axis, so what we have here is, um, what do we have on the y-axis? Yeah. So what we have on the, um, what we have on the x-axis is time. And what we have on the y-axis is, you know, right now, this, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put the Einstein field equations in the mm -hmm. context of an expanding universe. Right, sir. Okay. Yep. Um, so, so what we have is the expansion parameter, which is a the scale factor. So, if, you know, we have our little cartoon picture of of our universe is that this scale factor a, right, which determines scales in my theory, like spatial mm -hmm. scales, right, as a function of time. Um, right, this thing, the scale factor expands; it basically grows in time. And this is how this is to say that the universe or scales are expanding, um, mm -hmm. and the universe is expanding. Okay, so so we have a as a function of time, and the prediction of our standard cosmology is that if you if you fill our universe, the universe is filled with radiation and matter, right? That's going to make you know that's going to make the universe expand, and then the radiation and matter will dilute, right? It's it's. It's um, because of the expansion, um, the the um, the density, right? Like the energy density and the matter density will basically um, its amplitude will decrease as the universe expands, and that makes some good intu intuitive um, um, thing. The volume is expanding, therefore the density um, will actually decrease. Um, so. Um, the density being the amount of energy or matter divided by the volume. So the volume is expanding, is growing, then that, that quantity is decreasing, um, provided that you have um, conservation of matter and energy. Is the rate of expansion a, uh, like a, a dot divided by a? Are we talking um, about very that good. kind of expansion? Um, that's, that's right. So okay. a dot, thank you very much. So the a dot over a is exactly as you said, is the Hubble parameter. And what the beautiful thing about the Friedman equation about is that the Einstein field equation, right? As you said, G mu nu, right? Uh, um, is equal, and I'm now gonna use my natural units, <laughs> right? I'm gonna call this thing, I'm calling this Kappa, right? That's, that, that includes my Planck, you know, um, G nu and A pi, A pi cube, da 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 times T mu nu, right? And that's my energy momentum. Right. Now, this, these 10 differential equations right. collapse into two 
one, I'll just write the one that matters here because I want to mm -hmm. talk about the bounce now. This becomes on the left-hand side, uh -huh. the only degree of freedom in the gravitational field is the scale factor because of the homogeneity and isotropy. And so right. we get an equation as you, that you've seen before, which said that right. the Hubble parameter square, which mm -hmm. is like a dot over a square. So a is like a velocity, right? So the velocity of the, of the, of the expansion rate, which is related to h square, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put, it's proportional because I, I, um, to, I'm, I'm using my mouse to, to draw this equation to the energy density contained in the universe. So this is mm -hmm. the total energy density of matter and radiation. Everything is contained here. Now, if I right. plot now the solution of, the, of A, all right, what we see is basically the following. Um, as a function of time, as you go, let's say we start at T is equal to zero, right? We got that this thing, the scale factor grows um, mm -hmm. as, you know, some power, um, a, a power of, of time. You know? right. So T to the one third, T to the two third, but it basically- right. It's nonlinear, right. Yeah, it grows, exactly. Right. All right. And what you find is that actually at t is equal to zero, or when you go to t is equal to zero, a goes to zero. Right. Hear that sound? That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. Oh, it goes to zero. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that. And A goes to zero. Notice that when A goes to zero, H goes to infinity. Yeah. And H is basically what we call, you know, is related to the curvature. It's the dynamics, you know, it's, it's related to, the, to G, right? So effectively, you know, the curvature, right? Um, this Einstein tensor, you know, since it's the only degree of freedom. So what happens is that this is what we call a singularity, right? Right. Right, 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 right. So that's a singularity. And um, it's basically when A, when the scale factor goes to zero, the curvature blows up. The curvature invariance, actually, um, what we sometimes call a Kretschmann scalar, um, that actually, that's an invariant quantity that goes to infinity. All right. So now that, that's just a little kind of quick, you know, except so we're both on the same page. Yes, sir. So one way you can get around this, though, and people have played with this idea, 
including myself, is that you have your total matter and all this stuff, right? And then you, again, this is, imagine you have a theory mm -hmm. that, that, that says close to the singularity, right? There's some extra, some extra, um, in fact, I'm just going to put S, subscript S for something, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Okay. And, and the idea is that, you know, as T goes to some critical time close to the Big Bang, mm -hmm. but not quite at T is equal to zero, T critical, this kind of, this, the, um, the total matter and, and this, conspires to cancel out, cancel each other out, because this minus sign, right, can cancel this, mm -hmm. you know, your, your, the, um, the, the ordinary matter and energy in our universe. And what happens is that H goes to zero and not infinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what does that picture look like? That picture looks like this. On the, this is the expansion side. Mm -hmm. This is the positive branch and my negative time. Mm -hmm. And what you find is um, what something like that would look like is the universe contracts, mm -hmm. avoids, this is H, you know, um, goes through zero and expands back out. And we mm -hmm. call this a bounce, right? Yeah. So it doesn't, it avoids, it bounces. Um, it bounces in a sense that it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it goes to some A, it doesn't, A never gets, uh, is never allowed because of that. To go to zero, it right. goes to some critical A that's really tiny, as you very very tiny um, scale, scale. Stuff, not yeah. zero. Yeah, in fact, in loop quantum cosmology, that is the Planck scale, all right? And in loop quantum cosmology, you this this thing does em emerge from loop quantum cosmology, and that's one of the I think one of the the um, what you call one of those things the, the good one of the nice feature of that of that program. Now there are other problems with loop quantum cosmology um, that um, that at this point uh, they, they uh, keep on bringing this lack of, of fermionic matter that it doesn't lead to. Uh, I mean, uh, what's the story? What's the story with the lack of fermionic matter? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You know, the the whole idea is that, uh, uh, and this is something that was brought up uh, uh, several times by also Michio Kaku keeps on saying, for example, that uh, LQG uh, leads to uh, Lack of fermions. It basically doesn't show fermion. I don't see it either. I mean, I mean, for God's sake, this comes from the guy with the God equation. You know, you thought. Mm. The... Anyway, <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, I I don't see his point. I mean, I think uh, uh, Dr. Weinstein has has uh, has some ideas uh, uh, with this geometric unity. With you know, with with. Uh, with making L LQG yield, yeah. you know, because he he talks about these uh, family like um, family of three um, fermionic mm. families, something of that nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess well, maybe what what Mitchell Kaku is probably talking about is how to how to formulate fermions um, because in loop quantum gravity you're using these gravitational Wilson loops, right. and typically in um, you know in and you know that idea actually in loop quantum gravity came directly from Ken Wilson, uh, the Nobel right. laureate, who invented yes. lattice gauge theory. Right. And so the idea is that since loop quantum gravity, by using the Ashtekov variables, um, by using the Ashtekov variables, you can write reformulate general relativity to resemble a gauge theory 
then you can use um, Wilson loops, which is a gauge theoretic. It's a quite a beautiful idea. It's that a you can, gorgeous You idea. can carry over the Wilson loop idea. But the problem here is that, you know, when you do Wilson loop ideas, um, they're the so-called fermion doubling problem. There are these issues that I'm not too well versed on. I'm aware of them. And, and I am aware that I there know. are ways around that. And I do know that this is an open-ended question or research question in loop quantum gravity. To, to to be able to right. to be able to um uh, and that's why research exists right so that people can correct we, correct and that's to, why the, people the should not make categorical statements right they shouldn't make I, categorical statements like lqg makes no sense because it doesn't yield for a myonic man that's you see what i'm saying it's it's there's no we should try to see how to enhance one another's theories rather than put each other down i agree with that mm -hmm. Yeah, when we can try, we can try to learn from each other. Um, yes, you know, sir. Absolutely. Um, you know, as you know, in fact, Leon Cooper once told me when um, I was a graduate student of his, um, we would, you'd always have somebody in the room who was always trying to, um, um, to, to, to um, overstate or put somebody else down, and. Or, or you know, speak over somebody in the group, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and usually that would ha that would happen when um we might be stuck on something, let's say, right. and then one and Leon would say, Albert Einstein told me that if we knew what we were talking about, we wouldn't call it research, right, right. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> there it goes, <laughs> you know. For from the grandmaster himself, right? Okay. Right, right. right. <laughs> oh, Kurt, would you like to say something, sir? Hear that sound? That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. Razor blades are like diving boards. 
The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble, the more nicks, cuts, scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. Henson is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars rover. Now they're bringing that precision engineering to your shaving experience. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend less than the thickness of a human hair. The razor also has built-in channels that evacuates hair and cream, which make clogging virtually impossible. Henson Shaving wants to produce the best razors, not the best razor business. So that means no plastics, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. It's also extremely affordable. The Henson razor works with the standard dual edge blades that give you that old school shave with the benefits of this new school tech. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com everything. If you use that code, you'll get two years worth of blades for free. Just make sure to add them to the cart. Plus 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash everything and use the code everything. Yeah, Stefan, when you showed the row sub S, mm-hmm. you said at the time you didn't know what it was. You just gave it a label S. What is it? Do you recall what that specific variable is called and also is that just posited or is that somehow derived from loop okay well if you that's right so that's good yeah thanks so um so what i just gave you was a was a general framework for how you might want to avoid um you know um approaching a curvature singularity which is exactly what a black hole will have and what um the friedman um walker the friedman equations of general relativity will have for an expanding universe Mm -hmm. and the way that that can get implemented is now theory dependent. So for example, in, um, I've worked on some of these ideas and what I, um, me and my collaborators, so first of all, let's back up. If you look on the right-hand side, you have rho s and there's a minus sign. And whenever you have a negative energy state, that's like, that's basically like having a negative energy state, mm-hmm. right? And if you allow a negative energy state to propagate, then people that's a big worry because you can that um those degrees of things are usually called ghosts right when you have negative energy states that are propagating so a ghost usually is something that will have you have a negative kinetic energy so and you know whenever so paul de rock actually you know um mm-hmm. you, know, you know and and stuckelberg and feynman actually mm-hmm. right they saw these negative energy states in the Klein-Gordon equation of quantum field theory. Mm-hmm. And the way around that was to reinterpret that negative energy state as an antiparticle moving backwards in time, right? right. So you, inter- you, you said, okay, I accept that those mm-hmm. things are, but it's real, what, what, that re- what that negative energy state really is a positive energy state, right? That's an antiparticle moving backwards in time, if, right? So um, that's one way out of it, you reinterpret. Another way, way out of it is you, 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 know, you identify you can identify if if if, if it's a fermion, right? It does you you do occupy these negative energy states like the Dirac C, right? And then the exclusion principle, you know, will prevent you know the C from collapsing. Yes, right? yes, yes. Okay, so um, but you do have to confront with your theory why you would have this negative energy state that's bounded from below and. My the ideas that I worked on with my you know my students and colleagues um, was that. What contributes our negative energy state is a bound state of fermions, right? 
And so bound states, and if it's fermionic, right, could, could be in that, you know, so in quantum mechanics, you know, bound states are negative energy states. So, you know, the, right, right, the, 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 um, the bore rate, you know, the energy, um, the ground, the ground state energy of, um, of, um, of hydrogen is minus 13.6 electron volts. There's a minus yes, sign yes. there, right? So the negative energy states do exist in quantum mechanics and those yes, states yes, are yes. the bound states. So bound states are negative energy states, mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of the game we played. And so we're able to get a bounce by having fermionic bound states, actually like a Cooper pair. And, but then uh, you run into other problems if you do that, because then you, you have to look, you know, if you do that, you, have, you can study fluctuations and in cosmology, we're not only interested in just the homogeneous, you know, um, average expansion rate, but we need to consider fluctuations to talk about structure. And so you can ask if you turn on fluctuations, do these negative energy states cause runaway solutions? And that's an open-ended problem. Now in the Ashtakov formulation, as Kurt asked, this negative thing emerges naturally, right? And so, and so for me, that's quite interesting because you know, your Hamiltonian in new quantum cosmology is bounded. It's, I mean, the ashtakar lewandowski measure, right? It's a rigorously defined inner product. And so, you, you, you know, you do have a well-defined Hamiltonian. And so the, the fact that, you know, when you work in the, in the FRW type of background from new quantum cosmology, you get this minus sign. Um, it does seem to suggest that there is some kind of like quantum pressure or some kind of exclusion principle happening at the level of the space time, right? To kind of prevent- Like a super density. Okay, like a super density. Right? So I think it's, I think what you're saying is quite interesting, but it'll be interesting to, to, to awaken that in, in a framework like, like Luke Quantum Gravity. If you think of it as a super density term, it's got the H bar in there. It's in the, the the denominator. Mm. And then Professor Ashtakar's question, you know, this may not be fundamental. Maybe it talks to a super density. Maybe uh, what I call a super force, really, we use terminology here. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I'm saying? No, no, no. And I, I get, yeah, super force sounds cooler. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> truly, you know, like, like space force, super force, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. So, oh, I have a question for you. Before I forget, my, my, my 10 year old, by the way, things, oh my God, things, Thinks is the coolest uh, um, name of a book ever. Uh, the Jazz of Physics. I mean, really? it, uh, oh yeah. Oh, wow. She 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 uh, she promised me that she was gonna start, you know, reading it. You know, I, I mean, this is not for ten year old, but uh, this is a kid. I I tell you, this kid. I think she gets all her neurons from well, her mother. I can't take credit. Actually, Stephen Pinker gave me the title for my book. Really, the Jazz <laughs> yeah. of Physics. Yeah, yeah but yeah. you're. You're also a musician, so it, it, I mean, I'm pretty sure you, still, as far yeah, as yeah. I'm concerned, it's your book, it's your title. There you go. That is true. I do, I do play the saxophone. Yeah. Ooh, I, I, I got to hear that. Oh, man, I we got to right hear here. this. Look, we got to right hear here. this. I have it right here. Hey, hey, Kurt. Beautiful horn, huh? We should close this up with him playing. Oh, my God. With yeah. Professor Alexander playing. That'd be super cool. Okay. Okay. Here comes the question. This is really before I forget it, because she was like, Daddy, you got to ask uh, 
um, uh, she called you, by the way. Uh, uh, these kids, man, they, you know, the, the, the idea of respect, she called you uh, Stefan. Because <laughs> it's, a, cause it's a, so, so please forgive her because she does, you know, who knows, maybe one day she'll be a student. So you <laughs> exactly. She better call you Professor Alexander then. Okay. Uh, 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 by the way, if she, oh, Brown University would be unbelievable as an alma mater. But anyway. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, mine's uh, Case Western Reserve University, the same as oh, Professor Keating. So yeah, that's my uh, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, now, now, um, okay, she's basically saying, ask him, in his opinion, what is the cause of gravity, and you'll see w- why she's asking this. What is the what the force? The cause of gravity. What is the cause of gravity? Oh, I know. <laughs> this kid asked that. I tell you, I. I that's wish a really I had that's a that's a deep question. That's a deep question. I mean, because you know, obviously, you have to give in the <laughs> from the you know what what is the cause of gravity, right? Um, you know, we'll say well, matter and energy is the cause of gravity, but then it becomes a chicken and egg. So, what's the right. cause of matter and energy? then becomes a wheeler thing you know it from bit you know but anyway yeah yeah, yes uh, wheeler Mm. was something else uh what answer answer did you give her let me let me she has this 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 unusual way of thinking she i i talked before you know the of the casimir force you know the whole thing you know it goes as one divided hear that sound That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. By the, the D4, you know, so the Casami force becomes incredibly important and, you know, to at vacuum energy densities uh, uh, terms, you know, because of the when those non-conductive metal plates, whatever, are, are brought together very, very small distances from one another because of the one divided by D to the fourth term in the denominator, this thing just skyrockets. The force becomes incredibly high. Oh, is this? Oh, okay. I, I had this thing just pop on my thing. But anyway, so so she thinks... Daddy, what if because everything's connected, what if it's some sort of Casimir force on a macroscopic scale? This is a she 10 year old. She knows what the Casimir force is? 
what? Yeah, what? What if what if gravity is due to Casimir forces on a macroscopic scale? <laughs> I'm like, I I can ask Professor Alexander if that even makes sense. But anyway, yeah. That's what the, but anyway, mm, yeah. I just bring it up. Yes, it's wow. uh, yeah. She's quite a kid, I tell you. She gets all her neurons from her mother. But anyway. <laughs> oh, Stefan, do you want to respond to that? And then I have a question. Well, I'm still trying to wrap my head around um, the statement. Um, um, you'd think that you'd think that 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 thing will that force. You know, we'd have to ask that question in the context of a cosmological space-time, right? Because you know, because then you have a scale factor. So wouldn't wouldn't it get redshifted by the scale factor? I mean, you have to like. Um, Would definitely. Uh, I, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, 10 year old, but still the, the whole idea to her came because I showed her a video one time of, of two ships in the port. It was close to the port. So close to the coastline. And if you bring the ships together, these things have a tendency to attract one another. Mm -hmm. They're, they're mm -hmm. brought together. So, so now like well, with naval ships, you got to be very careful not to bring them too much in proximity of one, of one another, or you'll have tremendous issues. So you see what I'm saying? We were talking about Casimir forces and how these things are attractive. And somehow it became in her idea, like in her idea, just like the two uh, uh, plates, uh, the two non-conductive metal plates in, 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 uh, that bring about the Casimir force are brought together because of pressures acting that are basically pushing the, the plates together she thought, what if this was a macroscopic quantum phenomena? You know, that mm. somehow it translated because everything is connected. And if you think from the point of view, what if everything was connected because of the existence of the super force? Because it does exist at every point in space and time. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm saying super force because I like to think in terms of forces, rather, maybe it's a super density. Maybe the whole idea is analogous to the whole idea of a core bounce in a supernova. You know, it comes mm -hmm. about because of the strong nuclear force. The mm. whole idea in the Ashtakar bounce, it comes about because of the existence of this super density, which would be on the, you know, on the order of a Planck density. Actually, uh, Professor Ashtakar says on the order of 10 to the minus three times the Planck density. Yeah, it's hard oh. to see how these um, microscopic things, um, quantum things, you know, I mean, unless you have some kind of phase coherence, right? Like right. a macroscopic quantum state, um, you know. I mean, uh, what's superconductivity? Superconductivity is, is, is a macroscopic quantum phenomenon, truly. It certainly is. It definitely is. Yeah. That's how they were able to derive it from the London forces. The, the, mm -hmm. the London equations brought on the, the whole idea of the, the, they call it London penetration depth, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the whole idea of the, the Meissner effect. See, I'm constantly trying to get Ed Witten to come onto theories of everything. And he always responds to me, but he says no. However, <laughs> there's one way that he can come on. Why? Why, because Why? I Why think does that he say no? He's just so busy. One way to have him on is by just giving one of his statements, and then I want to see what you, Stefan, have to say about it. And then same with mm -hmm. you, Sal. Okay. So Ed Witten was asked about 
whether the lack of experimental data is the reason why there's so many candidates for quantum gravity. Mm. And then he said, I think your premise is misleading. String theory is actually the only idea about quantum gravity with any substance. One sign is that where critics have had interesting ideas, so non-commutative geometry, black hole entropy, twister theory, they have tended to be absorbed as a part of string theory. Another sign is the way that string theory has been successful in generating new insights about standard quantum field theory and even about geometry. Okay, so I'm curious to know, Stefan, what do you make of that? What would you say to Ed if he was here? What thoughts occurred to you? And then same with you, Sal. Yeah, I think that um, I think that um, as as a person that that still publishes and um, you know, and use I I publish papers that use the framework of string theory to to say um, you know to 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 speak to cosmology, speak to speak to um, some issues of particle, how particle physics overlaps with cosmology. In fact, I'm working on something right now that, that deals with um, electroweak unification from the, from structures that come from string theory and, you know, how they may play out in theories like cosmic inflation. So I can't speak too much of it because I haven't put the paper out yet. And I'm still, I'm still like fiddling with, 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 um, with, with equations, but so I'm, 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 I'm putting that out there to say that I am a big fan of string theory. And I do think that it is, from my opinion, from where I sit, the most promising and pragmatic because, you know, it does give us a framework. It gives us technology um, so that, you know, a person like myself can actually formulate um, research problems in cosmology in my case, right? And or part of how particle physics and cosmology speak to each other. However, I don't think that um, you know research at the um, at the forefront of other approaches to quantum gravity um, takes away actually from um, from you know from string theory. I think that it's important that we continue to pursue um, research on all these fronts, right? So I, I know that there are some statements that, for example, string theory is the only game in town, or string theory is the only um, you know, formulation. I mean, we have things like causal dynamical triangulation, um, you know, um, covariant formulations, non-perturbative formulations of quantum gravity. Um, I was just visiting um, a colleague, um, Simon Catterall at um, Syracuse, who um, does Euclidean lattice quantum gravity, and they're starting to get very interesting results that can get us back to the city space in some semi-classical approximation that's you know non-perturbative. They're again open-ended issues there. So again, I think that um, what's the word? The fact that string theory is, in my opinion, the you know, right now the most developed framework with the most workers in that field. Um, it doesn't take away from that fact that there are other, I think, um, viable approaches. Um, of uh, in in terms of research in quantum gravity and and they're that certainly out there and they have their problems but that's why as um, Leon Cooper said if we knew what we were talking about we wouldn't call it research Euclidean lattice what quantum gravity so this is very similar to what what um, you know Ken Wilson um, you know, when you do um, lattice gauge theory you formulate um, you use will you know you use um, Wilson loops and uh, and you work on a lattice so you discretize space time mm -hmm. and then you Euclideanize and you work on a computer and you 
you you basically solve the part, partition function non-perturbatively. And then of course you take a continuum limit and you get it and you show that you get back um, um, and you wick rotate back and you get back, you know, QCD. So the hopes here is that you can do the same thing for gravity, right? Um, right, and so that's um, what those guys work on. Are there non-perturbative approaches to string theory? Yes. So, you know, one, um, you know, the two I know about is matrix um, theory, the so-called BFSS matrix model by Banks, Fischler, Schenker, and Susskind. And then, of course, this is IKKT model um, of um, of that, and I think also Lee Smolin um, um, had some Chern Simons matrix theory um, yeah. as well. So, and then of course ADS CFT is supposed to be um, a particular non-perturbative definition of string theory, um, in you know in anti-decida space. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're just giving, you're reminding me of our conversation from almost a year ago. But yeah, going back to this whole thing that, you know, that's, that's my statement about, um, you know, that, um, right. There's one thing for, for one theory to be more advanced and more developed, but that doesn't mean that you still don't pursue research, um, on other promising approaches. And of course it could be at the end of the day that, um, they, you know, that those, those um, what's the word that, that there is some kind of um, and they convergence. They con thank you, convergence. Yeah, yeah. So that's my thought. What about you, Sal? I'd like to pick up on that because uh, Professor Alexander actually brought up a very interesting uh, idea. What would you say to the detractors of ADS equals CFT? You know, the whole idea of anti-decitter space equaling the conformal field theory, the, the whole idea that we, we live in a decitter vacuum, hence uh, the cosmological uh, constant must be positive be, because it's been shown by data that uh, the universe is accelerating in its expansion, hence lambda must be greater than one. What would you say to the detractors of ADS equals CFT? That's my professor. To, uh, that's my question to you, Professor. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I think ADS CFT is really beautiful. It's really beautiful stuff. I mean, it tends, and it's, and it's deep. I mean, the idea that, wait a minute, like, you know, any theory of, of gravity and of quantum gravity um, basically is, is equivalent to or encoded by with a theory with no gravity. And that theory looks very similar to quantum, to Yang Mills theory. That Yang Mills theory. Right, already contains in it quantum gravity. That's that's a message there, and then of course, there's this idea that and that 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 map is holographic. That you know that you know that that is stored. That information or that the quantum gravity is in one dimension less, like a holographic screen. I think that's a really beautiful idea. It's deep, um, ingenious. Um, I think yeah. So you know, uh, uh, Tuft and Susskin. Um, and of course, what made Juan Malacena great? He was made, you know, amongst other things. I mean, he has done some other, um, amazing other things as well in, in cosmology, the, um, the, the bispectrum. I mean, so he's, you know, um, so yeah. So I'm just saying great things because, and, and, um, and I'm, so, however, I do think that it is a, um, it's a framework that we want, we hope we can carry over one day to, um, to the sitter space, right, or a um, 
or, you know, or Minkowski space. And people are working on that. You know, actually, my colleague here at Brown, um, David Lowe, is one of the leaders in that field. Um, so people, people, and all this, I an idea of called celestial holography, right? Um, and I think that's a, a, hol a holographic theory. It's just like you're looking out in the sky and you're covered by um, a two-dimensional surface that, you know, that encompasses you. And um, that's, so it's a two-dimensional sub um, holography. Um, so again, these are, I, I know, ideas that people are actively working on. But ADS-CFT currently is just, um, I don't, it's not a, I think it's, it's offensive to say that it's a toy model. But, you know, the idea is that we would we, want to take some of that, everything that we've learned from ADS-CFT and put it in a more realistic um, gravitational uh, setting. Dual. Let, let me let me uh, enunciate why why I asked this question yeah. because in that book there's a great book in my opinion, um, and I I'll give the professor's correct name. His name is Jacom Jacom Armas. Uh, he goes by Jay because you know for some reason as as Americans we fail to pronounce correctly the names of people. I don't know why, uh, but anyway. So Jacom. Uh, Professor Jacob Armas, uh, he says uh, in his book, uh, Conversations on Quantum Gravity, there's a, a they, oh, which by the way, I think in a second edition, Professor Armas should go to people like you, sir, and to people like uh, he, uh, uh, Professor Keating and Professor, um, and, and Dr. Weinstein. And uh, yes, uh, why not? Sabina mm -hmm. Ossenfelder, you know, even though she, you know, she, she gets lost in math, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, she, she still has some, uh, some, some bright ideas. But again, as long as you don't put down other people's theories and you don't say stupid things like string theory is wrong and so forth, I think you can be dealt with, uh, you know, uh, in a reasonable manner. But um, what I'm saying is there should be a second edition to this book where people such as yourself and, and other luminaries in the field should be interviewed. And, mm -hmm. you know, not just, and I will ask, uh, by the way, I, uh, down the road, if you have time, I, I want to know your thoughts on, asym on asymptotic safety as far as. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Weinberg. I'm, I know. I, I, Speaking I love of the that great, idea. I love great that idea. Weinberg. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, may he rest in peace and a great loss for, for physics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so so okay. In in his com in the conversation that Nima Akani Hamed, uh, 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 he's kind of pushed against the wall because Professor Amas is basically saying, "Don't we live in a disorder universe?" And so such and so. And then Nima just breaks down and says, uh, "You know, maybe ADS equals CFT is a gateway drug to the emergence of space time." <laughs> He actually says this ad verbatim, and I'm like, "Come on." <laughs> okay, what 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 would what, what, what he mean by that? I, exactly, I, a gateway drug to the emergence of space time. The way that I understand that is that Nima has been saying for, I don't know, maybe two decades now that space time is doomed and there needs to be something that 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 gives rise to space time as an emergent property, and so he views that as the most important program in physics right now. He has some approaches called amplitohedron, maybe others. He doesn't care too much about whether ADS is unrealistic because it's anti rather than not anti, mm -hmm. because he sees it as that is 
one way that people can get into this idea of an emergent space time. And that's where the real physics lies or the real research lies. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to, to Nima and I think if, if there's somebody that, that will solve that problem, it would probably be him. <laughs> and I, you, you know, know, he um, went to school so, with Sebastian. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They were classmates. No oh, way. Wow. <laughs> no way. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. So two, two, Two two geniuses in the same class, huh? <laughs> I tried wow. to use that in my email to Nima to come on to tow, and but he doesn't respond. <laughs> However, I think we're making some progress. Yeah. Nima will be yeah, on tow yeah, at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nima, Nima is awesome. Nima is just totally awesome. I think, I Professor guy. Alexander, one day you will solve one of the great problems of this earth. I think you will solve the vacuum catastrophe. Uh, can you speak more about your uh, idea? You, you know, the whole idea of the of the of the um um why why the cosmological constant between quantum field theory and general relativity is uh, is, is off by 120 orders of magnitude <laughs> you know no, it's, just like, it's, just... it's just like what the, yeah. the, the, i i think i think i still think your rhythm universe is is absolutely brilliant would you talk more about you know this idea of how how you envision it, it's it's a uh, it's the way that you interpret cosmology. You have a very mm -hmm. unique understanding, and I think people should hear this. So, yeah. can you please announce? Oh, it you, oh you mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an, it's a, it's you know what an I'm talking about. It's an, it's an analogy, but you know, it's an analogy, but um, it's based on this. Um, it was, yeah, it, yeah. We tried to put some equations behind it, and then it ran into some problems um, later on. But, but I mean, the first paper did get. You know, it did get published in a good journal um, because, but then, you know, but I think, it, yeah, maybe you, you're asking me to get me thinking. I stopped thinking about it for some time, but the basic don't, idea please is, don't, because I think you have the right idea. Sir, you have the right idea. Keep on hammering. Don't let these detractors, you know, just slow you down. Please don't. That's all I got to say. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, the idea is that, I mean, you know, so why are the fundamental, why are the constants of nature what they are? So it's not just only the vacuum energy, it's the coupling, you know, it's the gauge coupling constants. It is the Yukawa, I mean, you know, the, when we look at the Yukawa, you know, the, the, the mass matrices, like they, you have different couplings that the Higgs couples, right? Um, so you have all these parameters in a standard model. So why are they what they are? So the theory that we have currently do not explain that. Now, one, one advantage of string theory, one feature of string theory that is cool is that, you know, coupling constants in, in theories in four dimensions, right, are really fields, um, values of fields mm -hmm. that get expectation values. So then you can, right. you can, you can turn the question on, 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 a, on string theory and say, why, why do we have a vacuum in string theory where the fields that did get associated with the coupling constants did get a vacuum expectation mm -hmm. value, right? You know, so you can you can sharpen that question in string theory, and in fact, that's kind of one of the things that we, we said. Okay, if, if we assume that in a cosmology, right, we we allow actually for these fields, and then sometimes we call these fields moduli, right, because they're associated with the geometry of the internal space. So we have space time, four dimension. We have these other six dimensions that we can that can be warped in ways that actually determine. Um, the coupling constants in the four-dimensional world to vary. So then we can take this picture and package it in the following way. You can say, well, 
imagine we what 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 we what we have is a cyclic universe. So we and now I'm now going right, to use. Right. So what ha- actually happens, and that's what you say, the rhythm, the rhythmic universe. So you have a rhythmic a cycle where the universe contracts, bounces, expands, contracts, and it's been doing this, you know, for eternity. I love past, that idea. I absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so the idea here. Can you hook that up to the quantum bounds? Can you hook that up to the Ashtakar bounds? Because I think yeah. you'd be right on. You and Professor Ashtakar would win the Nobel. I guarantee. Well, it. we have to make some predictions. <laughs> yeah. Um, How's this different than other cyclical models of the of cosmology? Yeah. It's different in the sense of the following. What we were able to show is that if you now couple, right, you couple the, the coupling constants to the geometry, what ends up happening is that when you get close to the bounce, right, the coupling constant, like a slot machine, they they get randomized. And then when you emerge out of the bounce, they freeze. So they get fixed. Yep. Interesting. Right? So at the bounce is where all the randomization happens. And it's we can brilliant. the slot machine gets 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 shuffled, or I call it like an improvisational universe that basically, mm-hmm. you know, in jazz music, um, the rhythmic structure cycles like a blues, 12 bar blue, it's it cycles. Mm-hmm. And every time you go around a cycle, somebody gets an opportunity to solo. And the solo, the improvisation is basically the shuffling of the coupling constant. That was just the analogy. It's just an analogy um, that kind of clarifies the equations. So as you, the idea is that the reason why the you gotta play your are, sax, you gotta yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm way out of practice. I'm actually getting prepared for a show next week. One quick question for Stefan, then I want to get to some questions for Sal. So Stefan, the randomized coupling constants. Do they have some different probability distribution every time the universe occurs? Like an evolution, like Lee Smolin has an evolution model. Is it actually the same randomization every time? Yeah, it's the same randomization every time. This talks to a paper on archive, I think May 27, 2008, uh, Korichi and Singh. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, uh, quantum bounds with total recall, with, with cas. Cosmic recall. Mm. They give the idea that the universe may actually have total cosmic recall. Oh, interesting. Right? And it talks directly to your rhythm idea. Yeah. I need to, I, I'll, I'll read those papers because I, I, um, I have a high, I have a high, I, I, know, I, know both, I know both of those guys and I have a high opinion. So I oh, will yeah. definitely oh, yeah. those papers to read. Yeah. It's a great paper. Yeah. yeah. So what I want to know is what is your Pius effect? And then oh, I want to hear what <laughs> I want to hear what Stefan's oh, thoughts are to it. Uh, uh, it's controlled motion of electrically charged matter that varies. It could be electrically charged solids to plasma. So we're talking about four state of matter here. And, you know, the idea of ions and electrons, nice floating around, whatever. Now, when you accelerate these in, in either spin or vibration, you get. And especially if you use rapid acceleration transients. Uh, so again, this whole idea of uh, of uh, the DDT of acceleration. But anyway, uh, um, you can get very high uh, values of electromagnetic energy flux. And the whole idea can be, uh, for example, you can, I believe under certain conditions, at least the classical theory doesn't give a limit, but I believe under certain conditions, you can have an exponential run on, on energies. So you can get, Schwinger limits. We're talking about, you know, things on the order, electric fields on the order of, of what, 10 to the 18 volts per meter. 
commensurate with magnet with B fields on the order of 10 to the nine Tesla. Now I know that sounds crazy, absolute crazy. But when you look at the at the theory, which comes right out of the Oliver Heaviside version of of of, of Maxwell's equations, you you will know, sir, that that Maxwell's equations, the original ones, first of all, they were based on uh, ether vortical theory, <laughs> and there were 20 equations with 20 unknowns, almost impractical from an engineering point of view. So Oliver mm-hmm. Heaviside in the, 18, in the 1890s made possible these, you know, four equations, four unknowns that we all use and love in, in physics courses and in undergrad. He, he made it possible because otherwise, if you were to use the, the correct quaternion formulism that Maxwell brought about, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not sure if you get anywhere soon. So, so we all use uh, the four equation, four unknown uh, Maxwell equation. That's really the Oliver Heaviside version of it. So using that, I was able to uh, bring in, you know, the, harm, the simple harmonic oscillator uh, mathematical formalism. I was able to show that indeed it's possible to get very high electromagnetic energy fluxes by accelerating uh, a, an electrical charge, basically either in spin or in vibration. Because if you look at the mathematics, it's similar for both. It's just that one is the, you know, the, 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 the spin radius times the angular frequency of spin itself. And the other for vibration, it'd be the amplitude of the vibration times the angular frequency of vibration, you know? So from, mm. yeah, but anyway, uh, that's what the so-called Pais effect is. And a lot of people have given me a lot of consternation of, over choosing the name, but I said, look, it's original, number one. And number two, uh, 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 I mean, you know, I, I could have called it the Feynman effect, but the man was far more theoretical than he was experimental. And we actually tried to mm-hmm. prove this experimentally, but we could never achieve a, a, an electrical charge higher than 10 to the minus eight coulombs. And we really need a charge on the order of one coulomb. And um, uh, Kurt, which by the way has great theoretical physics background. I mean, this man, that's why I agreed to be on the Toe podcast and go with no one else but Kurt, because number one, he has great theoretical physics roots and great mathematical knowledge. He, he, he really understands this theory. My God, quantum gravity, string theory, he understands it inside and out. I mean, who else understands ADS CFT? Do that- quantum gravity effects only come into play with high energy? Oh, that's, oh my God. You know, that, that's a subject of a paper. Ab- absolutely. Uh, no, I would say absolutely not. As a matter of fact, condensed matter physics can show you uh, a direct, especially when it comes to this new, the topological quantum matter. But anyway, uh, I, I want to bring this up because uh, your, um, your toe physics uh, seminar or I'm not sure exactly what to call. When you speak of natural units and you actually give, it's like almost two and a half hours. Uh, you you give uh, um, examples of physical phenomena using natural units. Uh, you know the, the whole crash idea course of on physics, right? The crash course on physics. Uh, the C equal H bar equal big G whatever equal one. Uh, um, it is absolutely phenomenal. I I. I think I must have seen, I think I watched that at least six or seven times. <laughs> so, so, so if you Thank get you. like a, a lot of viewership from what, from one source IP that that's your boy right here. Oh yeah. It's, 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 what'd abs- you like about it? 
it's it's first of all it's extra, your your um i mean it shows that you have the correct pedigree in theoretical physics your your knowledge of different phenomena is uh, physical phenomena is amazing I, mm-hmm. and not only that you're able to make it incredibly simple to understand you know for 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 the layman for the but also for the theoretical physicist you you bring up your new i a new uh, again, new perspectives on all physics. I, I just love that the phrase. But you really have that capability. And not only that, but uh, I mean, you make me want to come on top podcasts over and over. Whenever you want to have me, I'm, I'm, I'm there. As long as, God forbid, you know, somebody at the Navy doesn't realize that I'm doing this and slaps me down. Oh, my God. You don't want to know. But anyway, so I'll just leave it there. And um, yeah, your your knowledge. That's why, because in my opinion, you are a theoretical physicist doing podcasts, mm-hmm. choosing to do that. You know, I mean, you have the ability. For, first of all, you have the ability to go in in in, in different sciences. I, for example, your um, is it Carl Friston? I always get his name right. wrong. Yeah, but yeah. I'm absolutely. I was am, amazed with, as well the, with your the, knowledge of new of neurophysiology, the whole idea of the free energy. Oh my God, I was uh, I was incredibly impressed. From that moment on, I knew that you could take out almost any idea. And I said, if anybody would understand the so-called bias effect or this idea of the super force, you would. And you know, you you'd be able to say something at least. You know, that's now oh, you're a crackpot, you're a charlatan, and blah blah. You know. The crap that I usually get. So yeah, you. That's why I keep on coming on this podcast. That I'll come on as long as you have me, and my so-called leaders don't tell me to cut it out. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of people that say, "How dare an engineer enter the realm of theoretical physics where only the gods reside?" You know, but mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes, sometimes a human being may aspire you know to 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 reach mount olympus only to be you know struck down by the gods but still not trying would be worse agree mm-hmm. i agree with that thank you so much. Mm-hmm. that's all that's what the pice effect is all about it's just uh, uh, uh it it has promised the only problem is nobody's willing to try it experimentally sir because they all think i'm a crackpot crank charlatan whatever they they, they would rather oh. bring about ad hominem uh, sorry about this they would rather uh, you know instead of challenging my equation saying look equation 5 and 6 in these uh, in in his paper on plasma blah blah is wrong fine then we go back and we talk and say under what assumptions could they you see what I'm saying? They're now willing to engage me in, in, a, in a discourse like you are now, which God bless you, sir. Thank you for doing this. But uh, 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 immediately at home and I'm attacks and boom, uh, this effect is nonsense. Is, um, somebody called it, uh, I forget, uh, some crackpot. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So to reiterate quickly, what is the Pius effect once more so that Stefan can comment on it? Okay, it's the controlled motion of electrically charged matter in accelerated, so either in accelerated spin or accelerated vibration, undergoing rapid acceleration transients. So again, your acceleration is really a a function of time. 
can, can bring about high energy electromagnetic fluxes. So basically energy transfer over surface area. So mm -hmm. this thing can be used, uh, you know, either close to the electrical charge or could be something that, that somehow, uh, the whole thing is that the electromagnetic effects usually, uh, uh, they, they decline as one divided by D squared. So away from the source, like mm -hmm. 10 meters away, this thing is already one divided by 100 weaker. So, mm -hmm. but close to, close to this object, it could be very high, which, which could talk to the Schwinger limit because what's the Schwinger limit trying to do? Vacuum decay of sorts. Well, I wouldn't call it vacuum decay. God forbid we have a, you know, the Mexican hat potential and so forth. Mm -hmm. No, no. God forbid we live in a false vacuum. I'd be the last to know. Okay, Stefan, so you heard a, a description of, of what the Pais effect is. So then what thoughts occurred to you? What are the unknowns? What are... Um, well, I mean, so basically there's something, I mean, definitely, I mean, according to Maxwell's equations, you can have, I mean, if I accelerate charges, right? Is there something like, like that going on? There's like some collective... Yes, Either in spin or in vibration, when you accelerate them. Yeah. So, for example, okay. when you pulse a current through a wire, you're really accelerating the electrons through that mm -hmm. wire. Mm -hmm. So high electromagnetic energy fluxes could, could be, you know, could come into play. Or when you electrically, uh, when you spin a charge in an accelerated manner, right? Mm -hmm. And you start actually changing the rate of acceleration by, for example, decelerating a little bit and then accelerating at a higher pace, you can have very high energy fluxes. It, it actually, it, it makes sense, really, if, if you mean, know Maxwell's equation. If, if, yeah, if it, no, I mean, if you, what you're saying, you can set up a, a, at least, at the very least, I mean, at the level of a theory. Yeah, um, yeah. A situation where Maxwell's equation gives you high electric flux um, from acceleration. Is that the idea? I yeah. mean, um, okay, I'm, you know, I, you know, Maxwell equations, um, you know, I mean, and there's, that's, that, you need nothing beyond Maxwell equations to, to do this. Again, it's coupled with the idea of the harmonic oscillator, because mm -hmm. that's how these, okay, because if, if you, if you don't couple it with the idea of, um, of Maxwell's, um, of the harmonic oscillator, why would you just create radiation? I mean, normally when you accelerate things, I mean, this one solution is that you'll, the electric and magnetic field couple to each other and then you get radiation, mm -hmm. right? So how do right. you contain this flux and, 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 and instead of having it radiate away? Exactly. It's spherically it's radiating everywhere, but close mm -hmm. to the object, it's a very high energy flux. So you can get these Schwinger effects because... If you think of showing the Schwinger effect, effect is a quantum effect, though, right? It's a, it's a very, or is it something else? But see, you you could say it's a macroscopic quantum phenomena. If you I really see. think of the Schwinger limit, it's really uh -huh. macro because he's speaking. Uh, even though he's speaking of uh, the QED vacuum uh, breakdown, think what that means. I mean. Really, when these electron-positron pairs, when this Dirac C is being formed, and you well know the Dirac, what that does, what that tells me that space-time itself is being torn apart. I, I, I have this feeling that this is what this effect is equivalent to. It's like the space-time fabric being torn apart leads, and the Schwinger effect is actually would, would do that because it will bring to a breakdown. 
I think the reason Stefan's asking, forgive, like, correct me if I'm incorrect, is because you said that the Maxwell equations are all that's required for the Pius effect, and and he was asking, well, what about quantum mechanics or quantum field theory, and, and the Schwinger effect requires that. Is that the reason why, or no? Stephane, no, sorry. no. Uh, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is that the harmonic oscillator coupled with the with the uh, the simple Oliver Heaviside version of Maxwell's equation yields the so-called Pais effect. But the Pais effect is really a macroscopic quantum phenomena. Just like, for example, remember how the London boys, the, the London brothers created the London equations and came up with the macro, that superconductivity was a macroscopic quantum phenomena? <clears throat> what I'm saying, this also happens on a quantum level. It's, it's, it's not just classical. Yeah. Okay, well, we got to get going soon. So, Stefan, okay. why don't you just give your brief thoughts on that, and then I'll give an outro. No, I, I, I am. Listen, I'm, this is um, news to me, and I'm very interested in looking at those looking at those equations. Um, you know, because you know, so set, go ahead and send it along. Oh yeah, it, uh, yeah, absolutely, sir. You'll get everything I got on and, the, and this on is, the so-called Pisces. Is this a is this a patent of yours? Oh something? my God, it's got a lot of patents. I've been uh, I've been in the yeah, it, it, it got picked up by certain papers and then it uh, uh, they started calling it the UFO patents, the Navy UFO patents. And, you know, from then it just spiraled down into oh, crackpot, okay. you right. know, and no, no mainstream physicist would touch you with a 10 foot because 10 foot pole because, because it's the, associated well, with you know, freaking UFOs. Book, yeah. In my yeah. book, you know, in my in, in a book, a, re, a book I recently I talked about, you know, how we as human beings, we always, you know, we want to run away or don't or run away from stigma. Right. Right. And, right. and like you know, the sense. minute you, you give something a label like crackpot or you what have you or, you know, or in my case, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, um, people try to keep away from that. And it's, you know, it's an right. unfortunate feature of being a human being but it's and, understandable um, and, and, and yeah. you know living and you know being social creatures that so, we are including those of us that like to pretend that we're above that but you know it's um it's um i you know unfortunate that people want to you know attach things like that you know look faraday when faraday came up with his idea of invisible lines of force i mean you know the maybe the word crackpot didn't exist but i think word like idiot and things like that happened he turned out well in that case he turned out to be correct that every you know the field paradigm is the paradigm underlying nature so you know that's just my my response about the whole you know that people want to run away from you know from from stigma in that way yes sir thank you i want to thank you both i also want to apologize that i wasn't and i'm not my best i'm just recovering from like yeah, I mentioned, well, an illness covid so my mind isn't. I hope you feel terrible. better, sir. Get yeah, better yeah. soon. Get, Thank get you. Better, get better soon. Speaking about mass, there's so much mental inertia I have. To construct a sentence is extremely difficult. Until remember where the sentence began and where I'm going, it takes a terrible amount of effort. I appreciate you all dealing with me through that. Okay, and also for everyone who is interested in Stefan's ideas and Sal's ideas, Sal, you have a podcast on theories of everything, which I'll link to. And Stefan, you also have a podcast on theories of everything, as well as two books. So Fear of a Black Universe and The Jazz of Physics. Those will be linked in the description. And Stefan, at some point, I would like to do a one-on-one -on -one with you. We'll talk about your 
generalization of the Hawking Hartle wave function. And yeah. you mentioned that you're working on some electroweak unification right now. Yes. I assume those are different. Yeah, they're, they're different. Might be related. Might might be related. Yeah. So we yeah. can talk about that. And for the people who liked when Stefan pulled out his computer and wrote some equations, we can have more of that. Something that people surprisingly appreciate is the fact that theories of everything can get technical rather than just speaking in generalities and popular science adages. So I look forward to speaking with you again, Stefan, one-on-one as well. And same with you, Sal, when we have a one-on-one, maybe even in person. Thank you. All right. Oh, that'd be awesome. Great. Oh my goodness. You know, you know what'd be great if the three of us would get together in person and just talk about all I I bet you I know certain <laughs> things about Decab Avenue that you'd love to remember, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. He forgot to play the saxophone. We oh yes. Oh, Ste- Stefan, do you want to play the saxophone as a as, as... Oh come on? <laughs> Is come there something on, quick please. you can play that's like a minute please. long? Come on. Um... Please. I, uh, let's see what, let's see what I could pull. Cool. Yeah. I love this. I don't know. I don't know if you, I don't know because, um, I don't know how it works. Feel better. Please get better. Thank okay? you. Thank you so much, Sal. Thank you, sir. We'll talk, okay? Thank you for this. Oh, absolutely. The podcast is now concluded. Thank you for watching. If you haven't subscribed or clicked on that like button, now would be a great time to do so, as each subscribe and like helps YouTube push this content to more people. Also, I recently found out that external links count plenty toward the algorithm, which means that when you share on Twitter, on Facebook, on Reddit, etc., It shows YouTube that people are talking about this outside of YouTube, which in turn greatly aids the distribution on YouTube as well. If you'd like to support more conversations like this, then do consider visiting theoriesofeverything.org. Again, it's support from the sponsors and you that allow me to work on Toe full-time. You get early access to ad-free audio episodes there as well. Every dollar helps far more than you may think. Either way, your viewership is generosity enough. Thank you.